are listening to the podcast ministry of Portadown Independent Methodist Church. We welcome you and thank you for joining us. We trust that you are blessed by the ministry of God's Word today. If you have your Bible, Second uh, Samuel chapter 1 and uh, verse 17 is where we are reading from. Second Samuel chapter 1 and verse 17. And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. Also, he bade them teach the children of Judah the use of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. The beauty of Israel is slain upon thy high places. How are the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath, publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. Ye mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew, neither let there be rain upon you, nor fields of offerings, for there the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away the shield of Saul, as though he had not been anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions." Ye daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with other delights, who put on ornaments of gold upon your apparel. How are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? O Jonathan, thou wast slain in thine high places. I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me, thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How are the mighty fallen and the weapons of war perished? In this first chapter of Second Samuel, as we noted uh, last week when we begun our study of Second Samuel, we have here the news of Saul's death being brought to David. And Saul was, of course, the first king of Israel, and we could say that it is something of an understatement to say Saul's life was complicated. We kind of like, and I think we have some instinct within us to make people kind of one-dimensional or to make them simple and to maybe have one thing about them define everything, but the Bible paints a complicated picture of Saul. He started off very small in his own eyes when he was anointed king, when he was to be presented, he was hiding. He was small in his own eyes is how the Bible describes him. And yet as God began to use Saul for the deliverance of Israel from their enemies, Saul made that fatal mistake, if you like, where he seemed to think that really maybe this victory had something to do with him rather than God using him. And he became very proud 
And we read the Spirit of God withdrew from Saul and he became very paranoid and we know of his conflict with David. He tried to kill David multiple times, but now Saul is dead. King Saul has died and his life is over. And the young man who brings this news to David was clearly aware of the conflict between David and Saul. David had withdrawn from Israel, was living in Ziklag, the area in Philistia of the Philistines. And the young man knew that and he seemed to think that news of Saul's death would be greeted by a rising of David's heart, that David would rejoice, that David would be glad, even that David's heart would fill with greed, that this would be his chance now to grasp the throne and his old enemy, what you might think was gone, and David would rejoice. But in this chapter, we see David's heart was not filled with greed. It was filled with grief. Look at verse 11. It tells us there then David took hold on his clothes and rent them and likewise all the men that were with him and they mourned and wept and fasted until even for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they were fallen by the sword. Death is something that I think Uh, We do try to avoid in our thinking, not merely our own death, but we do not want to think, do we, even of the death of our loved ones. We do not want to think of the death of a friend, and we will try to kind of studiously at times avoid really engaging with the thoughts of death, but sooner or later, we do all grieve. And here in this chapter, we see, we might even say, the priority that this chapter gives to grief. The way the author has led out this section, those who understand how people wrote in the Hebrew language, tells us that this verse that we have read in verse 11 really is the heart of this section. It is, if you like, the very thing that if the author, you know, the way preachers will sometimes say, if you forget everything else that I have said, don't forget this. This kind of is the nugget. This is the thing that I want you to hear, to see, to go away with. And this is the thing the author wants us to see that David is grieving. The author is pointing us to David in his tears and in his grief, and he is saying, don't miss this. David is grieving the death of Saul and the death of Jonathan. He is tearing his clothes to shreds, an expression really of how his heart has been torn, and and the very thought of of a heart tearing is getting out. That's why David's tearing his clothes. His heart is breaking, and, and over the death of Saul and the death of Jonathan. It tells us David is mourning, he is wailing. The sounds of David's wails are filling the air here in Ziklag as he's coming to terms with this reality. Saul is dead and Jonathan is dead and he tears his clothes and he wails and tells us that his tears were flowing freely. 
Here is David then, and the young man must be a little confused here. He was being opportunistic. If I can tell David that I was even involved, then David will maybe reward me, and I'll be on the inside with the new king. And his heart was filled with greed, and he thought that David's would be filled with greed. And yet here is David now, and the passage is pointing and saying maybe discreetly, here is a man in grief. You don't stare at somebody in grief, but we are to stare at David and to see here is a man who is mourning. He fasts, most likely his appetite is gone. He is, he is not uh, putting on a show here. He is not pretending. He is mourning and he is grieving. And the author is saying to us, look at that. David is really grieving, unashamedly giving expression to his heart's pain. Mentioned before, several years ago in a message, I read a book uh, that a man had written after his son had died, and here's what he said. He said, I have been wounded grievously. Am I to pretend otherwise? Wounds are ugly, I know, but must they always be covered? I shall look at the world through tears. And the Bible's answer to this question, am I to pretend otherwise, is no, because this passage is showing us the priority of grief. David has had a wound opened in his heart, and he does nothing to conceal it. He tears his clothes, he wails, he mourns, the tears flow, and he fasts as he has lost his very appetite to eat. And so the passage is showing us the priority of grief. This could have been glossed over very quickly. David was upset, but no, we see him in his grieving. The text underlines the importance of his grief in another way. After hearing of Saul's death and this young messenger who, who seemed to think that David would appreciate it, uh, David knows right away what he's going to do to this young man. This young man has thought it a good thing to implicate himself in Saul's death, and David knows you have implicated yourself in the death of the Lord's anointed, and David would have known immediately that judgment must come upon this young man. But notice how David works this before he deals with something he knows he will do. He gives priority to his grief. Grief isn't an item that he puts on the to-do list and he says, no, this is, this is more important than this is. No, David says, there is a priority to my grief. I know what I'm going to do. I will get around to do it, but first I must grieve. And so he does. He grieves the death of Saul and the death of Jonathan. Grief then, this passage would be teaching us, surely it's not something that is simply on our to-do list and we can kind of relegate it and pretend that it's insignificant. No, David says, grief has the priority. I grieve first and then I get back to my to-do list. The text also gives us this very lengthy lament that we have read that begins in verse 19 and goes all the way down to verse 27. And the Holy Spirit has included this lament. That's what it calls it there. Verse 17, David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. So here is David who works his way through his grief and his sorrow and his sadness and his brokenness, works his way through all of his thoughts and, and, and puts 
pen to paper as David was so gifted to do, and David's lamentation, his documentation of his working his way through grief is included in this passage, surely for our benefit. So David doesn't consider grief a minor issue. No, it's a priority. I do grieve first, other things can wait, and then he writes a lamentation, and it's included in the word of God for our good. And as if all of this doesn't convince us of the priority of grief to David, he he instructs that this lament be taught to all the people of Judah. Look at verse 18. And he bade them teach the children of Judah the use of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. Now, this can, um, commentators uh, don't always know exactly what is saying here, but many of them believe that this lament was actually entitled the bow and that David wanted the children of Judah, the people of Judah, to memorize this particular lament. And so we see here that when it comes to grieving in 2 Samuel chapter 1, there is a priority that is given to it. When we grieve, when we find ourselves grieving as we all do and as we all have and as we all ultimately will, and we come to the Bible, we find that it is very deep and very rich in its example and its instruction for our benefit, and it says to us emphatically and clearly, grief has a priority. Grief is not something that we need to be ashamed of. It is not something that we need to try to bury. It is not something we need to try to procrastinate. Here in 2 Samuel chapter 1, we see its priority. God welcomes us into his presence when we grieve. People might feel uncomfortable, as we all do, do we not, at some point, when somebody is deeply in grief, what do I say, what do I, I don't know, and it can make the griever feel uncomfortable, and it can be awkward, but the Bible is telling us clearly that when you grieve and you come into God's presence, he is a God who welcomes and understands our grief. He has included it thoroughly here in this chapter. Not only the priority of grief, but the pain, we might say, of grief. In these expressions of grief, the tearing of his clothes, the volume of his cries, the, the, the many tears that he shed, we see that David's heart is in pain. It is raw, it is cruel, it is hard. Saul was, of course, David's father-in-law, but at one point he must have seemed more like a father. And the good memories, the good memories that David had of Saul come rushing back to David now that Saul has died. And the failures of Saul, which were many, are washed away by the rushing tide of good memories. This is surely proof of David's grace, proof that David understood how much he needed grace from God, how much he needed mercy, how much he needed God's forgetfulness over his sins and his transgressions. But but here David is, and whenever Saul has died, there is not a mention of all of Saul's wrongs against David. 
There are those who are very quick to recite the faults of others. You can barely mention a name without it stirring up and bringing forth some bad fault that the other person has done, even at death. But we did not learn that from David. Proverbs chapter 24, 17 says, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth, lest the Lord see it and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. And in this lament even that David writes and says, I want future generations to learn this, there is no suggestion of all of Saul's wrongs. Isn't that an amazing thing? David is passing on to future generations his good memories of Saul and he has deleted all of the bad memories from passing them all. It was Saul who had broken this relationship, tried to kill David, but David's heart has not grown bitter. David seems to have hoped for reconciliation. David hoped that things would be made right. And now that Saul has died, this can never happen. The breach can never be repaired and David grieves. In that book I mentioned before, the dad who lost his son wrote this. He said, it's the neverness that is so painful. Never again to sit with us at a table, never to travel with us, Never to laugh with us, never to cry with us, never to embrace us as he leaves for school, never to see his brothers and sisters get married. All the rest of our lives, we must live without him. A month, a year, or years, with that I could live, but not this, not forever. And David knows that Saul's death means that reconciliation can never happen, and he grieves. Jonathan, of course, had been like a brother. In fact, in verse 26 that we read there, that's how he describes him. I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Few people get to enjoy the depth of friendship they had. We looked at this in 1 Samuel. Jonathan loved God. Jonathan loved the glory of God. In 1 Samuel 14, you might remember, Jonathan ventured out alone. He went down a valley, up a, up a, a steep incline to take on the Philistines and to beat them. There was this courage, this, this fierce desire for the glory of God. It reminds us of David when he takes on Goliath. And these two friends, uh, were a kindred heart. They, they, they loved God and they loved the glory of God and they, they had courage to, to serve God and there was nobody quite like them and they met each other and the friendship that they had was very precious. In 1 Samuel 18, they enter into a covenant together. They're saying, our friendship matters more than anything. We will do everything to protect our friendship. We will sacrifice for our friendship. And it tells us that David loved Jonathan as, as much as his own soul. And at one point, Jonathan risked his life to cover for David. And Saul tried to kill Jonathan because he could see the friendship with David. This is a rare example of the beauty of what friendship, godly friendship, can look like. It's precious 
and it's priceless. Jonathan, who would normally have been the heir, willingly stepped aside, recognizing God's hand on David. There was no animosity. There was no jealous. It was pure friendship for the glory of God. And we might ask, how could David not miss this? At one point, Jonathan had said to David, thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee. They dreamed of David being king and Jonathan by his side. Before when they had parted for a while, David broke his heart and he wept sore. It was a temporary parting, but now the permanent, the permanent parting has come. They will never meet again here on earth. Their dreams will never, ever, ever happen the way they had dreamed them. At David's inauguration that we'll get to, I wonder, did he think of Jonathan? Or when he will sit on the throne, will he not long for Jonathan's advice? When he plans battles, will he not long that the Jonathan of 1 Samuel who went on and took on the Philistines for the glory of God, will he not long to have Jonathan by his side? They had dreamed of this, but Jonathan's death means that this can never happen. And this hurts David deeply. I am distressed, he says, for thee, my brother, Jonathan. Very pleasant thou hast been unto me. Now, there can be times in our grief that people do like to come, we might say, with their giant theological tomes and like to give us a lot of theology and thank God for it. There's a time and a place and we might be inclined to say, come on, David, the providence of God is still the providence of God. All things work together for your good, David. But David has enough sense here to know that it is a time to weep and, and it's good for us to know there is a time to give answers. But at this moment of grief, if we could be with David, it would be time for us merely to weep with those who weep. David understands the providence of God. David understands that all things work together for good, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt that Saul is dead and Jonathan is dead too. And so we might say the notion that grief shouldn't hurt us finds no place in the Bible. In our moments of grief, we might even find ourselves, you might find yourself thinking this morning, I, I wish I could go visit David right now. He understands grief, and, and if I could go, he would sympathize, and of course we can't. But David does point us to the greater David, we might say, to the Lord Jesus, who the Bible describes as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. A man who wept hot tears of sorrow at the grave of Lazarus, John eleven thirty five. And for those who know and love him, isn't this an encouragement that we are invited into his presence to grieve and to lament and to weep and to wail and to tear our clothes as it were and to know that there is a man in the glory who understands our sorrow and understands our grief and is never makes it awkward or difficult or embarrassing. He has wept tears of grief and he understands ours. But this chapter does nothing to pretend that grief doesn't hurt. It shows us the priority of grief and the pain of grief. We might say in conclusion, it also shows us the process of grief 
to some extent. Each person who grieves is on their own journey, and we might say they pass similar landmarks on that journey of denial. We don't want to believe that this is true, and even anger that this is true, and then the sheer sadness that this is the way it is and the way it will be. Each person's grief might be different, but we tend to pass the same landmarks and recognize the same things. However, David teaches us not only in this passage, but in many passages that, that we can wrestle our way through this grief in God's presence. It's noteworthy that, that of the 150 Psalms, if I was to ask you how many of them off the top of your head do you think are Psalms of praise and how many do you think are Psalms of lament, I think that if we were to guess, we would get it wrong. At least a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. It is the largest category in the Psalter. Even Paul in Romans 8 quotes a psalm of lament from Psalm 44. And I think if many of us had been writing the Bible, not that we ever could, obviously, but we would not have made it like this. Our modern-day choruses do not really often give us a way to express our lament or our grief. Even our hymns don't often do it either. We might have covered this chapter and simply say Saul had died or David was upset, but the inspired word points us and says, look at the tear and tears and hear the volume of David's cries and see the clothes that are torn and lying at his feet. The Bible is telling us that, that grief is something not to be ignored or pretend or even to be scolded, but grief is something that we can work through in the presence of God. The author and editor of this book is infinitely wise and he welcomes us, invites us even in our pain to come to him with it. If you look at David's lament there, I think you can hear the shock and feel the numbness in verse 19. The beauty of Israel is slain upon thy high places how are the mighty fallen? David seems to almost be in that moment. This is surreal. The, the king of Israel and Jonathan, they're dead. How are the mighty fallen? It is surreal. There is disbelief. It's hard to believe. He repeats this again in verse 27. How are the mighty fallen and the weapons of war perished? There is a state here of shock and of numbness and of disbelief. The mighty are fallen. We might even trace a tone of anger in verse 21. Ye mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew, neither let there be rain upon you, nor fields of offering, for there the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away. This place where Saul had died, David is saying, I don't want there to ever be another drop of rain to fall on you. I don't want there to be dew. In fact, I want you to suffer, for you were the scene of this. There, there, there's this note of, we might say, even a trace of anger anger here in David's heart. Where this happened, no rain, no dew, it should suffer for being the scene of something so sad. We hear the note of sadness there at the end of it. Verse 26, I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. The sheer unadulterated sadness that Jonathan and Saul 
are dead. And so at no point in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 1 is David pretending that he isn't wounded. At no point is he saying, I'm embarrassed by my wound. At no point is he pretending or repressing. There is a full expression of David's sadness and David's complaint of what has happened. And in the many Psalms of lament, there is a pattern when David's heart is emptied and he pours out his complaint to God and he even tells God sometimes to awaken and he's saying, God, in the midst of all of this, one of my biggest conundrums, God, is that I have a complaint with you. This doesn't seem to be right. And he pours it all out in the presence of God. What he finds, we might say, is that when he has emptied his heart and his tears, his eyes have no tears left to cry, and he rubs his eyes, he finds himself to be in the presence of a God who is good, and a God who takes that gaping wound that grief has inflicted, and a God who gently pours balm into the wound, and a God who begins to soothe and to comfort in those moments of grief. When David gets into God's presence, having wrestled through all of this, not pretending I'm okay, not, not, not pretending that he isn't wounded, but pouring it all out at the presence of God, and he rubs his eyes, he finds that there is a God who will never fall, a God who will never leave, a God who will never forsake, a God who is there, and even in the person of Jesus, someone who deeply understands our grief because he has felt it himself. Death mattered so much to God that he sent his son to shed blood on a cross that we might escape the power and the awfulness of death, that we might be ready to die and that we might escape the judgment that that deserves to come upon us because Christ has taken it. And thank God for that 10,000 times 10,000. But do we then believe that God doesn't care about death and when we come with our grief, he has nothing to offer? He is a God who sent his son to shed blood, to rescue us and to defeat death. When we come with our hearts that are broken by the death of another, we find a God of sympathy and a God of comfort. To the point that in the Psalms of Lament, I think there is only one of them that doesn't end on a note of praise. That that the very tears of grief and of complaint and of, of sadness that we shed can in a sense bring into a focus the very kindness and grace of our Savior. So I don't know who might be grieving this morning, but I trust that this passage is an encouragement of the wisdom of God in the example of David, the priority of grief. David says, I have other things to do. Of course, I have other things to do, but first, I must grieve. And my grieving really hurts. I tear my clothes. My heart has been torn. The neverness, I will never see Saul again. I will never see Jonathan. Never be reconciliation. Jonathan will never be by my side. Never pray with me. Never talk to me. Never come to me for encouragement. I can never go to him. Never again. This David gives us this example of the pain of prayer. He gives us, or the pain of grief, the process not to hide and not to pretend. 
but to get alone with God and lament. God, my wound is hard and I don't understand, but in the very presence of God, he finds comfort. I think I've shared this illustration years ago as well here. It's from Joni Erickson Tada, who uh, mentioned some time ago had a diving accident and ended up a quadriplegic. And she says this, when a broken neck ambushed my life and left me a quadriplegic, I felt as though God had smashed me underfoot. I felt like that. At night, I would thrash my head on the pillow, hoping to break my neck at a higher level to end my misery. After I left the hospital, I refused to get out of bed. I told my sister, just close the drapes, turn out the light and shut the door. My paralysis was permanent and inside she grieved. That's how she felt. But after weeks in bed, I got tired of this and I finally said, God, if I can't die, show me how to live. It was just the prayer he was waiting for. From then on, I would ask my sister to get me up, park me in my wheelchair in front of my Bible, holding a mouth stick, I would flip this way and that, looking for answers, any answer. I sought the help of a Christian counselor friend who took me directly to the book of Lament, Lamentations. He showed me the third chapter, I am the man who has seen affliction, surely against me, God turns his hand again and again the whole day long. Lamentations 3, 1 and 3, I marveled, she said, thinking, that's me. I was amazed to learn God welcomes our laments. I would eventually learn, mainly through Lamentations and Psalm, that nothing is more freeing than knowing God understands. When we are in pain, God feels the sting in his own chest. Our frustrations and questions do not fluster him. He knows all about them. He wrote the book on them. More astoundingly, he invites us to come and air our grievances before him. And so this morning, this book of 2 Samuel takes us to the subject of grief. The priority of grief. The pain of grief and the process of grief. But if this is worked through in the presence of God, he will not take the wound away, but he will daily give us comfort and give us help and give us grace to work through this journey of grief. And the Lord Jesus himself, there on the cross, cites a psalm of lament. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God, thankfully, this morning can handle our honesty and our pain and his grace for our every need. And we praise him for this. Once again, thank you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch, visit our website, portadownimc.org, or find us on Facebook at Portadown IMC. God bless.